The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning and welcome. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who have gathered. I pray that today will be a joyful day for you. If you're a person, a mother who is here struggling, I pray that the message today would be an encouragement to your heart. I also want to welcome those of you that are here visiting your mother or those of you who came today through the Parent-Child Commissioning. We're glad that you're here and pray that God will encourage your heart through the, the worship service and through the message. I'm picking up in a two-part sermon uh, from Psalm 42 and 43. So if you don't have a copy of the Bible, there's one under a chair uh, close by you. Joseph's actually going to read Psalm 43, which is on page 470 in just a moment. So Psalm 43, I invite you, if you would, to stand as we read. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, we confess that there are often times where we ask the question, why are you cast down, O my soul? Father, would you remind us of your goodness and of your faithfulness? Remind us to hope in you alone. Help us to take you as our refuge and hide ourselves in the shadow of your cross. Oh God, I pray that as your word goes forth, that we would see you the way that you are. Be exalted, oh God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to begin by sharing some of the questions that I've asked myself in arriving at this sermon and to help bring you in with me. So why in the world would I preach on the subject of spiritual depression? You might say, well, that's a depressing subject. The reason I'm preaching on it is because I see it so prevalent among people. People need to understand what is going on inside of them and they need answers as to how to address what is spiritually going on in their hearts and minds. The second reason is the state of the church in general. This is a quote. I have no hesitation in asserting again that one of the reasons why the Christian church counts for so little in the modern world is that so many Christians are in this condition of spiritual depression. So here's, here's my intent. Last week I preached on the causes of spiritual depression, something you could go back and listen to. 
This week we come to the cure. So here's my main idea. The cure for spiritual depression lies in trusting the Lord and proclaiming the gospel to yourself instead of listening to yourself. I want to separate myself from the beginning from clinical depression. Clinical depression is an ongoing, progressively increasing state of major depression with multiple symptoms requiring medical treatment. I am not offering a cure for clinical depression. Clinical depression requires medical treatment. What I am dealing with and addressing is what Martin Lloyd-Jones coined as spiritual depression. Spiritual depression is the result of unbelief evidenced either by dejection, discontentment, bondage, and or the lack of joy. We see the question of spiritual depression in Psalm 42 and 43 repeated three times. It's in verse 5 of both chapters and in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? So why are you dejected in soul? Why are you in this constant state of anxiety inside? So let me just clearly say that the first step in dealing with spiritual depression in your life is to admit it. Is to admit it to yourself. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? The why question is acknowledging the what. That there is a, he is cast down in soul and he is in a state of anxiety within. So I come to the ultimate question of the hour. What is the ongoing cure for recurring spiritual depression? Now my question is very insightful. What is the ongoing cure? of recurring spiritual depression. I can attest to my own life and I can attest pastorally that this is not something that just happens once in your life. This is something that recurs as you face the difficulties of life, as you move through different seasons, different things happen. You come to a point to where your faith is rattled and you begin to question things. So what we need is an ongoing cure for something that is recurring. So there's not a pill for it. There's not a shot for it. We're not trying to mask what is there. We want to deal with what is there. Now, when I came to faith in Christ, when I became a Christian, it's been described this way. I was on a spiritual high for a period of time. Many of you can probably attest to that when you first became a Christian. And And I have to be honest, I... At that point, I was in a revivalistic church where every Sunday the sermon was, everybody needs to get saved and get right with Jesus. And, and it was all about the experience of salvation. Now, I preach every week the gospel and call people to faith. But here's what happened to me pretty quickly is that that spiritual high began to fade and life began to hit me in the face. And I began to wonder, am I actually a Christian because I don't feel like I used to feel? You ever done this? I don't don't feel like I used to feel. So is salvation based on what I feel? The answer is no. But for some of you, that's what you think. Now, let me deal with the flip side of that. Those of you who think the Christian life 
is a bunch of doldrum, boring people who are unhappy. And those of you on a spiritual high are going to become like the rest of us who are about to fall asleep this morning and not exactly sure why we're here. I'm not preaching that kind of Christianity either. I'm dealing with the realities of life, the ongoing cure. Now here's the answer. The answer is one simple sentence. The ongoing cure for recurring spiritual depression is to preach the gospel to yourself. Now, what I want to do in the next 30 minutes or so is to give you the content for what you preach. Don't find a false content. It won't help you. This is what you need. This is what the psalmist said to himself, and this is what we need to say to ourselves. Four simple phrases. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the ongoing cure for spiritual depression is that we hope in God for who he is. It's the first thing he says, hope in God or wait on God. So we got to reject this cultural idea that God has revealed himself multiple ways in multiple religions, that all religions are the same or all worshiping the same God. No, we're not. Folks, any intelligent person who can study other religions can see we're not talking about the same God in any stretch of the imagination. And we're not all trying to attempt to come up with some kind of definition of who God is. So we've got to reject this cultural idea. The second thing we've got to reject, and this is more subtle, I've got to reject my own mental creation of God. I've got to come to admit that I define God the way I want God defined because I want God to do what I want. You ever said this? That's not the kind of God I worship. Now, if that response, that's not the kind of God I worship, is a result of the Bible and convictions from the Bible, that was a right statement. If that statement was, that's not the God, the kind of God I worship because I don't like what you just said, that's a false statement. Turn to Isaiah 40. I'm going to put yourself, let's put ourselves in context here. Isaiah 40 is written to God's people, Israel, when they are dejected. They are in a place of despondency. I don't have time to explain the whole reason why, but this is an incredibly difficult period in the life of God's people. So God says to them in his word, Isaiah 40, verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard? <laughs> well, they could have said, yes, we know. Yes, we've heard. Here's my problem and here's your problem because... I've pastored long enough to know this is your problem. You leak. I might have told you. Somebody else might have told you. You might have read it, but it leaked. And what you used to know or what you do know is kind of leaked out of you. So you've got to continually remind yourself who God is. The Lord is the everlasting God. He is not like us. He is the one, the only one who says, I am. As far back and as far forward as you can go, God is. He is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. Folks, I don't have time to preach on this, and I'll try not to get off here. But this whole idea that we are the result of random chance and molecules and cells that came together, that is stripping us away as human beings. 
We are made in the image of God. God created us. And when we separate ourselves from creation and we just see ourselves as evolved animals and molecules, that's depressing. That's not helpful. One of the reasons humans can treat each other the way they're treating each other is because they don't see any creation. They don't see the image of God around them. This God does not faint or grow weary. That means he's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is not confined by anyone or any situation. And because of that, because he does not faint or grow weary, he gives power to the faint. Do you see that comparison there? God doesn't faint, but you do. You're the one that gets weary. But God gives to us power. His understanding is unsearchable. We might not understand what the omniscient, all-knowing God is doing. Here's what we got to understand. Our knowing is finite. And we can go to the edge of our finite mind and still ask the question why and not have the answer. The answer is beyond that. It's in God. His understanding is unsearchable. Brothers and sisters, the overarching purpose the message of the Bible is to tell you who God is. It's why it exists. Now, this is a quote from a Christian psychiatrist. That means this man is a medical doctor. His name is Dr. John White. He wrote a book called The Mask of Melancholy. He starts out, he is talking about himself in this paragraph. He's not preaching at you. He's talking about himself. Listen carefully to what he says. Years ago, when I was seriously depressed, the thing that saved my sanity was a dry-as-dust grappling with Hosea's prophecy. I spent weeks, morning by morning, making meticulous notes, checking historical allusions in the text, and slowly I began to sense the ground under my feet growing steadily firmer. I knew without any doubt that healing was springing from my struggle to grasp the meaning of God's word. Then he says this. If sufferers have any ability to concentrate, they should do solid inductive Bible study. Now this is a psychiatrist speaking. They should do solid inductive Bible study rather than devotional reading. Why? Because depressed people will read the Bible to find what they want it to say instead of what it says. This is going on everywhere. Got a word from God. Opened my Bible up and read the first sentence there. Didn't study the context, didn't look at what God was actually saying in the total context and the context of his word. You better watch that because here's what you can do with the Bible. You can sink yourself deeper and deeper than where you already are. The way you treat and handle the Bible is you gotta handle it with integrity and forthrightness is the way that God, was, God intended the Bible to be read and known, which means you have to give yourself to serious reading and study. You say, I don't know Wow. Well, you need to start. And part of the way you start is sitting under preaching like I'm doing right now. You don't need devotional preaching. 
You don't need a little pat on the back every Sunday. You're living hard, difficult lives week in and week out. You need over time to sit under the word of God to what's being placed under you as a foundation to which to stand on, to believe, to trust in God. So we give ourselves to the study of scripture because over time, over time, we become clear, this is who God is. You know how often preachers quit? Every Monday. You know why? And this is one of the things I try to train these young men and they learn to preach. Every Monday, a pastor experiences spiritual depression. Every Monday. A lot goes into this. It's kind of like somebody described. It's kind of like, ladies, this Mother's Day, I'll be careful. Kind of like. Kind of like. Kind of like giving a birth to a baby every week. The problem is you got to get pregnant again and do it again every week. And you feel like a failure regularly. You feel like an idiot, particularly when somebody comes up and tells you how stupid you are, which happens regularly. So your question is, do you trust in yourself? Or you trust in God. I'm going to tell you how I've lasted for over 25 years as a pastor. First Timothy 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 1, 1, 2 Timothy. Just reading it over and over and over and over again. And what I've seen in that text is God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Why did God give me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind? Because God is God of all power. God is the God of love. God is the God of sound mind. And he gives that through himself. So that when I start, every time I read verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy says this to Timothy, remain at Ephesus. So I don't stand up before a church every three or four years and say, I've got a word from God. It's time for me to go. Listen, God will decide when it's time for me to go. He'll decide. And when he decides, I'll be gone. Now am I saying he's got to kill me to get me out of here? Maybe, I don't know. I will say this. I won't destroy this church. That's one of the ways I'll know. If I become a harm to this church, I'm gone. So how do, you, how do you arrive at this? How do you arrive at making life decisions moving forward? Do you look for a word from God? Let me go back. Is that what you're looking for? You're looking to God's word. You're finding out who is God. My hope is in God. Now it becomes very specific. I bet some of you don't know this is here. Turn to Romans. We're going to work around in the New Testament for a few minutes. Turn to Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of, what does it say? For the gospel of God. What does that mean? It means that the Bible is the good news about God. It's the message of who God is. Now, the kernel truth, the connecting point, the place it's all pointing is that was declared to be that Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's verse four. So we hope in God for who He is, and we hope in God for what He has done and promised to do through Christ. Now you don't have to turn over there. Here's the next phrase we want to think about in, in, in Psalm 42 and 43. He is my salvation. So I hope in God, my salvation. This is personal. 
This is something that I have that has been given to me, my God. Now turn to the book of Titus. It's almost at the end of your Bible, just before Hebrews. Titus chapter three, verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, here's what I'm going to focus on. Being justified by his grace. Justification is the gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Christ. It is the act of God where he declares sinners as righteous on the basis of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, I just used a big word. That means that you have a righteousness as a Christian that is not your own, that has been bestowed upon you, placed on you, an alien, not yours, of Christ. And here's what we need to be reminded of regularly, brothers and sisters. We need to be reminded of what God has done and promised through Christ, and that is justification. In this book, Spiritual Depression, Lloyd-Jones makes it clear that one of the root causes of spiritual depression, or I would say the root cause of spiritual depression, is a lack of understanding of salvation. There's two clear things that must remain clear in my mind. Number one, I am a sinner, and my sin separates me from God. Let somebody in this room die this afternoon, and tomorrow, your southern family, if you're from the south, if you're from the north, this may not happen. Your southern family will gather and somebody else will say this. He was a good person. He's a good feller. He's with Jesus. He's a good man. No. None of us are good. Not even one. And you hear me, brothers and sisters. I don't compare myself with you to determine whether or not I'm a sinner. Because I can always find somebody that I'm better than. The comparison is, see, you see how this works? It's rigged. If I know who God is, here's what I learn. I'm not him. And the way I know I'm not him is because of my sin. The second reason I focus on justification is not just to know that I'm a sinner and my sin had to be dealt with, is that Christ is the only way to salvation. When we confess our sin and we trust in Christ's sacrifice on the cross and in the resurrection, God gives his son's righteousness to us. He imputes his righteousness to those who believe. He regards us as righteous. He declares, he pronounces us as righteous in Christ the Lord. Now, We've heard this, but if you go up to the average Southerner and you say you're a Christian, yes. Are you sure if tonight you died, you go to heaven? Next answer, I hope so. You know why you get the I hope so? People do not understand the doctrine of justification. And this is deadly. This is not okay. This is serious. It's not just this leading to spiritual depression. It's leading to damnation. Now track with me here how important this is. Lloyd-Jones picks this up. He's talking about explaining the gospel to an individual. And he says, well, are you happy about what Christ has done? And do you believe that? And they say, yes. Then I say, well then, 
Are you ready to say that you're a Christian? Hesitation. I know they have not understood. So I say, what's the matter? Why are you hesitating? And they say, I just don't feel good enough for that. At once I know that in a sense I have been wasting my breath. They're still thinking in terms of themselves. Their idea is still that they have to make themselves good enough to be a Christian, good enough to be accepted with Christ. They have to do it. I'm not good enough? Sounds very modest, but it's a lie of the devil and it is a denial of faith. You think that you're being humble, but you will never be good enough. Nobody has ever been good enough. The essence of, the, of Christian salvation is the way that he is good enough and that I am in Christ who is good enough. And then he says this. As long as you go on thinking about yourself and saying, ah, oh, I'd like to be a Christian, but I'm not good enough. I'm just a sinner. I'm a great sinner. As long as you continue to do that, you are denying God and you will never be happy. Why? Why will you never be happy? Why are there so many unhappy people in southern churches where the Bible's taught? It's because deep down we still think we've got something we've got to do. And if we can just do that, God will like me. Listen to me. God loves you, sinner, separated from God. He loved you and sent his son to die for you. And listen, his son took what he did not deserve. You know what he took? What you deserved. He has taken it for you and died. And when you trust in Christ, when you believe on him, look, here's how it works. You get what you do not deserve. And that is the righteousness of Christ. And that is what I must, we must remind ourselves of. He presses it further in Titus. Not only does he say works that we have been justified by his grace, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, we hope in God for bringing you into a, a lasting relationship with him through Christ. One of the things we Baptists get accused of is that we believe in, in once saved, always saved. Now, here's what we believe. We believe what God saves, God keeps. That's what we believe. Because we believe it is God's work, not ours. And it makes sense. If I got saved because of something I did, then it's mine to keep. I better work hard. But if it's something God did, then that's something God's going to keep. Now today's Mother's Day. My mother is Elizabeth Long. She's my mama. She gave birth to me. She loves me. She raised me. I don't own her. When I say she's my mama, that doesn't mean I own her. It means I'm in a relationship with her. And here's what I'm saying with the psalmist. He is my God. You know why he's my God? Because he loved me and he gave birth to me. I am his. I have been brought into his family. And here's what Romans 8 teaches me. Romans 8 teaches me that I cry to him. I cry, Abba, Father. This is in verse 14. For all are led by the 
by the Spirit of God, the sons of God, for you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. We cry. <laughs> so those of you that, man, you bought this thing, you know, how you doing today, Christian? I'm great, blessed. Now, I don't think I ought to be Eeyore all the time going, eh, how you doing today, man? Yeah. This is, my, this is my honest answer when I'm there. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. It's not for your sympathy. There are times we cry. And verse 11 of chapter 8 says he'll give life to you. Life. That's what he gives to his sons and daughters. He gives life. So, so, we approach spiritual depression as, as those in a lasting relationship with him to know that we can freely cry to him and, and that he, through this Holy Spirit, he gives words that we can't even come up with. Second thing it reminds us is in verse 17, that if we are fellow heirs with Christ, heirs of God, it says here we suffer with him. Verse 18 says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. So we are his now and forevermore. We are, we, we are his own and he abundantly provides, but it acknowledges here in this text that his people now suffer. And when we do, we, we cry to him and we trust and we hope for what is to come. And look what it says in the Psalms. For I shall again praise him. It may not seem like it today, but I shall again praise him. So let me just extract a story out of the life of Parkwood this week. Earlier in the week, Richard Littlejohn, one of our old saints of God as a member of this church, went into the hospital. He'd been sick for a few weeks, went into the hospital, and they discovered that he has a, a rare blood virus, unexplainable. They finally came up with some form of a treatment middle, in the middle of the week, and they were going to release him from the hospital. So he calls his his wife, Helen, who struggles a lot physically, he calls Helen to Helen to come pick him up. Helen gets in the car, she's on her way to the hospital, and she decides to stop at their place of business to see her daughter for a moment. She goes in and goes to the bathroom and collapses. Basically, Helen dies on the floor. Boom. Her desperate daughter and son-in-law go in and they perform CPR on their mother. EMTs show up, they carted the hospital. Meanwhile, Richard's being let go from the hospital. They wheel him down to surgery waiting where he's waiting to find out if his wife is going to survive. Sometime toward the end of that, David and others were there. I showed up. It's the first thing Richard said. <laughs> this frail man. That's what he said. Praise God that they are. Let me out of the hospital at 11 o'clock this morning. Praise God that Helen on her way decided to stop by the shop. Because if they'd have discharged me any later, or if she'd have came by the shop any later, they were about to leave to go to a funeral. Helen would have died by herself. But he said, this isn't chance. I serve a sovereign God. He knew how this day should unfold. And even though I don't know what's going to happen with my wife, I can praise him right now for how he's taking care of us. 
That's what hope looks like. That's what it looks like in the life of a believer. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 16. I love this. Romans is an explanation of the gospel and he comes to the end and this is his doxology. This is the song of praise, if you will, at the end of Romans. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Who needs strength? The weary. So what strengthens the weary? The gospel. We are strengthened by the gospel of God, by the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages and has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of eternal God to bring about the obedience of the faith. Let me just simplify that. God has revealed in Christ and in his word, his message. It's open to us. That which was used once a mystery, now it can be known. And that's where we find our strength, and that is where we preach from. And what does that result in? Praise. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. We will praise him for all of eternity, brothers and sisters. There will be no pain, no crying, no sickness, and no spiritual depression in heaven ever So I say with the old hymn, until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day my eyes behold my Savior, until the day God calls me home. So here's my question for you. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I trusting the Lord and proclaiming the gospel to myself? Am I proclaiming that he is my God and my salvation? Am I saying to my soul, hope in God, I shall again praise him. I'm going to use a story from the scripture, but I want to tell it to you. You're a young father, and your little boy has been struggling with something physical that you know is also demonic, that you can't even get close to a campfire at night or this, this demon will throw this little boy into an epileptic fit and throw him into the fire. The scars on his little body from those moments are evidence to you all the time. You can't go down by the Sea of Galilee anymore because every time you get close to water, the fit hits him and he jumps off into the water and nearly drowns. You're exhausted. What are you going to do for this little child? And you find out that the teacher and his disciples, they've come around. So you go to seek them out and his disciples are healing people. And you take your little boy and explain the story and ask for the heal, but they can't do anything. Later, the teacher shows up. So in desperation, you go to him and you say, teacher, if you can, if you can heal my son. And at first, it doesn't look like it's going very well. Because the teacher's immediate response, and by the way, it's an exclamation point in the Bible. This is what Jesus says. If I can, if I can. Then he makes a statement. He's not talking to the man. He's talking to the disciples. All things are possible for him who believes. In other words, boys, here's why you couldn't. 
Then there comes this statement of the spiritually depressed. I cannot count how many times I've prayed this. I've handwritten my journals over the years. If I had typed them and you could search this sentence, it would appear hundreds of times. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's what the man says to Jesus. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's where you are when you're in a state of, of spiritual depression. When it looks like things aren't going to work out, you've got to renew yourself, renew your mind. You've got you to see what God has said and who God is and the truth of the gospel. And you say, I believe. Help my unbelief. So that's my prayer for you, that you will offer this prayer and that God will help you in your unbelief. And I want you to put your stuff away and I want you to bow right where you are and I want to plead and pray for you. This prayer comes from Ephesians chapter 3. Again, after an elongated explanation of the gospel, this is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers. Lord, we confess that through Christ and Christ alone, we have boldness and access and confidence in our faith in him to come. We do not deserve to be here. It is by your mercy and your grace alone. We have not done anything this day or in our lives or this week to afford ourselves the opportunity to come. It is through Christ. It is through what Christ has accomplished. Lord, many of us, most of us do not know what to pray. So Holy Spirit, thank you that you give utterance to the words that we cannot even form. So God, keep us from losing heart. We confess that you are our father and that we are a part of your family, the family that is in heaven and on earth and that we have been blessed according to your riches and glory. And we ask that by your riches that you would strengthen us with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in love and have the strength to comprehend all with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Christ. Lord, in that prayer, we understand we don't have that strength within us. It comes from you. Make us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And Lord, when we try to squeeze out with our human knowledge the love of Christ, bring us back, Lord. And I pray for your people here that they would be filled with the fullness of God. Lord, you are the one who is abundantly able to do more than we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. And all of this to your glory through Jesus Christ. Lord, there are a lot of people asking, is this the end of the church in the West? Your word says that your church in Christ will be through all generations forever and ever. Even though we live in a hard time, we confess that the gospel will prevail and that generations are to come even those whom we set aside this day 
with parents. You will keep your people. We trust you. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.